and look into our study, the first study in Philippians chapter 1. The Bible says, and again, the title is A Prescription for Joy. So Philippians chapter 1 says in verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from our God, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making request for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we're thankful for your word. And we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we're so grateful. And yet as we read your word, the spirit of God is calling us into fellowship with our Savior. To know him, to love him, to serve him, to be yielded to him. And so we're grateful that you'd open up our hearts and you'd help us discover the joy that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. A prescription for joy, Philippians So the book of Philippians is about joy. I believe the word joy, rejoice, uh, about 19 times in just these four chapters. So it's loaded with joy. So the question comes to mind in our introduction here. What would Paul be doing as he wanted to encourage this church in Philippi, a church that he helped establish on a missionary journey? He wants to encourage them in the joy of the Lord. So you would think that perhaps he's positioned himself on the sandy beaches of the Mediterranean, maybe a nice chair or something that he's leaning back on, looking at the beautiful water, sandy beaches of the Mediterranean, thinking about, I want to encourage my brothers and sisters in joy. Just Lord, just is such a gorgeous place in your creation. I just want this, this joy of the Lord to go to them. But we know that that's really not how it happened. He's actually in prison in Rome. And from his prison in Rome, he wants to bring encouragement to these believers. You see, if we can turn to the left over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if we can look there and see what would cause Paul to want to bring this message of encouragement to these believers when we're looking at, uh, at Paul's life in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and if we look in, say, verse 6, he says, Even though I'm untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly manifest amongst you in all things. Did I commit sin in humbling myself? that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? And listen, in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 11. He says, I robbed other churches, and actually what I'm looking for is not that particular thing. Actually, if you actually move in 2 Corinthians 11, and if you look over in verse 24, or in 23, that's what I'm looking at. He says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool and I more. Again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 
He says in verse 23, laboring more abundantly in stripes above measures in prison more frequently in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils with false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness. And look at this in verse 28. Beside the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. So Paul has this deep concern, so he tells us what he endured suffering-wise in his life. And you think that that would be enough, but the deepest suffering in his heart is for the church. And what had happened in the book of Acts and in chapter 16, we see that there was, in a sense, a call to Paul to go to Philippi or to Macedonia. There was a call He did not necessarily feel it. That's what the Lord had. He had other intentions, as you read Acts 16, to move in his missionary journey a different way. But the call was strong, and that's what led him to Philippi. And when he went there, he was wondering, Lord, what do you have in mind? Have you not followed the Lord in your life? A sense of obedience, a sense of, you you can't necessarily say objectively, but a sense certainly more subjective than objective, but sensing this is the direction that God has for me. This is where I need to go. But it sounds ridiculous to somebody else. It would sound rather confusing to somebody else. To somebody else, they may say, you need to just wait and, and just get things more in order. But he went there. And as they were there, they saw some women down by the river, and they were believers, women that were believers. It's our understanding that there was not a synagogue in that area. It's my understanding from studying that you'd need about 10 Jewish men or so as a minimum to establish a synagogue in that area. So these women were down there and they were worshiping God. And Paul was brought there in the presence thinking, what what do you have here, Lord? And that's how the church got founded. And the lady there, Lydia, we know, was the one that was there. And so they began their ministry. That's how they began the ministry in Philippi. And it was such a blessing that they began to teach Jesus Christ. They began to preach the gospel. So all you need is that little core group. For example, as the Lord is working in your heart, as you have a desire and you're trusting God and stepping out, I believe that God has somebody else in mind that has a like heart for something that you want to do. Many of our works in ministry, it's established upon more than one person being involved, that there'd be a like-heartedness, that, that God would have put that in someone else's heart. We work off the principle that as iron sharpens iron and, and that need of just seeing God work in that way, God, God multiplies his work. And so these people go, they're down there, they're worshiping, they join in, they begin to preach the gospel. There's an effect that's taking place. There's a demonic woman possessed by Satan She's shouting things out about them as they're preaching. It's very annoying to Paul in the ministry. They rebuke the darkness, Satan, the evil out of this woman. She's delivered from the demonic stronghold in her life. She's no longer now taken advantage and used as as merchandise to those who owned her. She's set free from that. 
That creates a great disturbance. It means that Paul and Silas go to jail. This is all in Acts 16. This is all in Philippi. So they go to jail. And they're going to die in jail. And they're, you know, in stocks in in jail. And it's midnight. And they're singing praises to the Lord. Can you imagine what that must have been like? And as they're just praising God and, and offering praises to God, God in heaven is just, catch, you know, he's just with them. And all of a sudden there's an earthquake. <laughs> there's an earthquake that takes place. And the earthquake just opens up and provides freedom for them. And the jailer realizes that this means his death and he's going to commit suicide. And they say, don't do that. We're all here. And so... They lead the jailer to Christ. And then his whole family gets saved. And this is the ministry in Philippi. They're going to have to move on because the persecution's coming. So they're going to move on and establish churches. Well, Paul now is in Rome and is in jail again. And he's thinking about this church at Philippi. He loves them so much. You'll notice even as we read the scriptures in verse 7 of chapter 1, he says, just as it is right for me to think this of you because I have you in my heart. I love when I hear that. Again, looking at the notes, it was written to believers in difficult times for the purpose of bringing joy. Joy, gladness, and rejoicing is mentioned 19 times in just the four chapters. It was written from a prison in Rome under Nero. Nero hated Christians. It's told to us in some of the other books in studying that what they would do with Christians is create them or put them on stakes in their garden, staking them up and burning them like live torches to light and illuminate the garden. And of course, they would use the arena to throw the Christians in there under Nero. So Paul's in prison under Nero and under his leadership. And he says, I just can't stop thinking about you in Philippi. I'm wondering how you're doing. I just love you so much. I just want you to know the love of Jesus Christ. And people are wondering, you know, Paul had a good run at things. He was able to get the gospel out, but it looks as though things are finished now. He's in jail under Nero. And Paul goes, I don't know what you're hearing, but that's not true. The gospel is not chained. The gospel is going out. People are getting saved. Do you remember when I was on the road to Damascus and the Lord said that I'd be bringing the gospel before leaders? He says, these guards that are around me all the time, they're getting saved. And as they go back into Caesar's palace, they're going back, they're saved. And the gospel is going out. So as we continue to look at our notes in the study right here, the second part is what are the prayers that we should be praying? In verses 3 through 11, we can look at some of those. What are the prayers as believers that we should be praying? The things that we should remember about one another. Well, first of all, let's pray for joy. Let's say, Lord, we know that life is hard and difficult. We know that people are in the midst of maybe some very difficult circumstances, but we pray for the joy of the Lord to be their strength. 
We pray, God, that your spirit would fall upon them. The spirit of joy would come upon them. That our brothers and sisters would experience joy. Maybe you don't know how to pray for a dear friend or a family member, somebody close to you, somebody in your workplace, or even as people from the Mormon church are visiting you, but they don't really know the joy of salvation. So we pray for the joy of the Lord, the joy of salvation. That's a request we could make. The second request we could make is for fellowship in the gospel. The reason that we have fellowship is because we are in the gospel. And so therefore, our relational time together is based out of our fellowship with Jesus, our fellowship in the gospel, the things that we're learning about the Lord, the commonness, that the Spirit of God is taking the Word of God in these days. And as we're collectively going through right now, Philippians, as we're learning, the Spirit of God is working in our hearts and in our ministry and in our work. There's a commonality of of a work of the Lord taking place. So we're praying, deepen our fellowship with your word so that our fellowship with one another can also grow and be strengthened and be renewed. The third thing we can pray about is the request for good work. And I believe that most of us here love the song, He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Do you not love that song? He who began a good work is faithful to complete it. That scripture has really ministered to me. Because in life, you wonder how God's going to work things through. God completes everything he starts. We can say with confidence, God will see you through. God will help you through. God is with you. And God is for you, and God will help you through. God started that work in our life. And even though we go through ups and downs and highs and lows, God's with us. He's for us. He's going to see us through. We love Jeremiah 29. We realize that God has saved us for a purpose, that we've been designed by God. He's given us a future. He's given us a hope. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13 we know in Romans eight twenty eight all things work together for the good of those that love God, called according to his purposes, that he's with us, he's for us, he's going to see us through, he will take us through any tough, difficult situation. Remember how sad it must have been for Moses as he was able to follow the leading of the Lord, to put the blood over the doorpost and to see the multitudes, seemingly over a million people, that were going to be able to leave Egypt. And as they were leaving Egypt, what a celebration over Pharaoh. We're set free. We're on our way to the promised land. And what rejoicing there must have been until they got to the Red Sea. And at the Red Sea, they look and see Pharaoh up on the hill with his armies. And what's going on? But it took the feet in the water. Just keep moving ahead. Day by day, one step at a time, keep your eyes on the Lord. He's going to see us through. He's going to take us through. He began the good work in you, in me, in us. He's going to see us through. He wants us to have that confidence in him. He will see us through. Amen? And we're going to pray for that. 
Because the enemy doesn't want you to believe that. The enemy wants you to believe that you're a failure, that you don't know whether you're really saved or not. Your life doesn't really matter. And that's a lie. And we don't believe the lie. We believe the truth and we pray that. What else can we pray? Well, I believe that there's a vision in your heart for fellowship and service. What would that be? Well, we want to pray for, as it says here, this sense of the grace of God. Again, notice in verse 7, that you will all are partakers with me of grace. And may God help us continue to be partakers of the grace of God. Notice also, he's longing for us. Paul's praying, longing for you with the love of Jesus. And one of our discipleship questions was, do you have that kind of longing for one another? Is that Is there that desire, that longing for another believer? Longing that they would know the love. You can share the love. You can have the love of Jesus. Is there a sense of abounding love in our lives? Again, these are prayers that we can be praying. We could put this in our heart. God, may our fellowship be a fellowship abounding in love and with grace. And may you help us, Lord, with all knowledge and discernment. As we're looking at the scriptures in verse 9. In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, and that you may approve the things that are excellent. And I love that because God wants us to serve him with excellence. In our service to him, it's with the best we can possibly do. A sense of excellence, a sense of sincerity, in a sense of fruitfulness, and in verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Paul is writing, he's in Rome, he's full of the Holy Spirit of God, he's in this prison, possible death, Nero's leadership, guards all around him, and what he's communicating to us is that we would experience the joy of Jesus Christ. That's what's on his heart. And it's from somebody that you would think, how could you possibly write this right now? But he is. He's wanting us to draw near to Jesus. Look at verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things that happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has been evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my chains and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So he's saying you have a misunderstanding to think because I'm in prison in Rome that the ministry is over, and the work of God in reaching the world is over. He says it's it's absolutely the opposite. He's saying I'm chained here, and as I've said earlier, those that are chained to me, the prison guards from the praetorium, they're being saved. They're going back into Caesar's palace. This would be Caesar's elite men that are there, that are getting saved. Not only that, he has the opportunity for visitors. So Christian brothers and sisters, visitors are coming to him. And as they're coming, they're probably thinking, what are we going to say to Paul? I mean, he's in prison. Nero's in charge. He's going to die. We're so, we're so, what do we say to Paul? And what he's saying is people are coming in and they're seeing the joy of the Lord on my face and in my life. They're seeing what's going on. That there's not a stop of the gospel. It's being talked about all the time. That God's created this other audience there. And people are leaving, being strong in the Lord. So before they entered in, what they were perceiving, as they leave, they're strong. They're encouraged. They're leaving, speaking boldly 
And no longer are they caught with fear. They're released. And your life is like that. Your life, when you're given a testimony, when you're living for the Lord, when you're believing God, your life is an encouragement to other people. When you're able to experience the joy of God in the midst of difficulty, that testimony speaks volumes to your family, to the workplace, and to your friends. That message of your faith and trust in God, saying, you know, I have absolutely no idea how it's going to work out, but I know that God started a work in me, and he hasn't quit. God is on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He's never left me. We don't know how God's going to work it out, but he will work it out. And we're not going to be quiet about God. We love him. We believe him. He is our strength. He is our help. We're going to see it through. God's using this difficult time to help us abound in love. We know more about God's grace than at any other time. That is an encouragement to anybody that hears it. Notice we see in verse 15, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition and not sincerity, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. So he's saying in this time in prison, there's some ministry that's taking place that his servants are concerned about, Paul's workers, they're concerned about, that people are preaching Christ, but there's not a sincerity of heart. They're preaching Christ maybe for selfish ambition or gain, because we're going to cover that on Sunday in chapter 2, the the verses you're memorizing. Those are the ones we're covering on Sunday. Chapter 2, I think down to verse 8. I know you've got those memorized. I know you're moving along on those. Right? Because really, if there's any encouragement in Christ, right? You've got that? Good. So what he's saying here, when we're looking at these verses, he's saying, they're saying to him, here's what's happening outside. And Paul says, let's just be thankful that Jesus Christ is being preached. So Christ is being preached. Let's be thankful for that. And let's trust God to work, because he knows the heart and the motive behind those that are misrepresenting or taking advantage of Paul's imprisonment to score upon that. Like, hey, let's move in. So you see that selfish ambition. But Paul's saying, let's just be thankful that Christ is being preached and God's going to work it all out. And we do live in strange days. We live in strange days with a variety of types of ministries and, and approaches to ministries, philosophies of ministries. And, you know, some of it is like, what is going on? But for those that are preaching Christ, we'll just trust that the word of God is going out. Accomplish your work, Lord, in what you're doing and, and work out some of those other things that are out there. Just work them out. If there's heresy, we'll speak about that. But there is a large um, menu of different ways that people are bringing God's word out. Now we're getting down to the key part of tonight's study. And it says, for I know this, that... In verse 19, this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and supply the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So Paul is very confident in verse 19 
that he's, he realizes that some things are going to take place. And it's going to, because of the prayer and the commitment, he, he believes he's going to be released. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether life or death. So within life, you know, there's, a, there's a, an appointed day that we're all going to die. So Paul is dealing now with life and death, this situation. So he realizes what's pending, and he's going to talk about life and death right here. And I believe that there's a real great nugget for us right in this. Notice again in verse 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In your handout sheet, there's a few uh, sections that are highlighted and darkened. For example, in under section 2, where you see good works, I think that's a key to chapter 1. He who began a good work is faithful to complete it. For me personally, in the study, the next highlighted is life's purposes. Again, under Roman numeral 3, the life we should be living, you'll see life purposes to know God and to bring him glory, to live as Christ, to die as gain. So, our life purpose as a believer, I believe, is to know God and to bring him glory. That's my life purpose. If we lived in the world and we say, what do you want to do to have a joyful life? Our purpose would be different. Our purpose would be to accumulate things for ourselves. It could be material things or reputation or whatever else, but we'd accumulate things to uh, float ourself, you know, to feel significant or important. If that was our purpose of life, it's not. Our purpose of life is to know God and to bring him glory. So Paul is saying, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now he gets into a development of these two things. He says in verse 22, if I live on, on in the flesh, this means that uh, fruit from my labor, yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. So life and death, what do I choose? And he says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. I have a desire to, part, to depart to be with Christ. It's it's far better, of course. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for your progress and the joy of your faith. And you look at him and you're thinking, Paul, I'm so blessed just to hear this. Here he is, ready for heaven, in this prison, to live, as he says in verse 21, for me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And he's saying, I understand this, but if staying means I could help you and encourage you and your spiritual life will progress and you'll experience even greater joy in faith, and that means that I'm in this prison, I am all alone, I'm going to face this uh, Nero, I'm going to face execution, I am cold, I am alone, I am away from my closest friends, but if in doing this, this will help your spiritual life, I'll do it. I want to do that. Because for us, many times, if there's this situation, we would think by staying, and in our world, that means I'm going to get exalted. My visibility, my appreciation, my recognition, oh, how wonderful. Oh, how sacrificial. And it's absolute opposite. You're going to be away. You're going to be in jail. There's going to be no visibility. 
Your life is going to be more miserable. Are you wanting to do that? You know what? If it will help their spiritual life, and God's in control, but he's telling us, I'm in. I love these people so much. You think, can he really love them that much? To the left is the book of Romans, and in chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. In Romans chapter 9, and in verse 1, Paul speaking, I tell you the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Spirit. Romans 9 verse 2, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. Verse 3, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. He is saying, if it meant that I would go to hell and you could be saved, I would do that. That's what that means. Obviously, he does not have that choice. But his heart is revealed to us how deeply broken it is that his fellow countrymen, the Jewish people, have resisted Christ. And if he said, if it meant that I would be accursed for all eternity, that you could be saved, I would give up my salvation for you. I'm not signing on that line. And obviously Paul couldn't, but it reveals the kind of heart and the kind of love that he had. Back in Philippians chapter 1, verse 26, it says that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. He is writing a letter of joy to us. He cares. He loves these people. He saw this church form. He appointed leaders for this church. He's sharing his heart with them. We go to verse 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So he is saying, I've expressed my commitment to you. Now, I don't know if I'm going to be able to come back to see you in Philippi, but I'm writing you this letter And I'm writing you about how much I love you and how much I want you to continue to grow. And your progress will be noted by your conduct. So whether or not you're progressing is how your conduct is in the world that you live in. Does it represent being with Christ? It's almost like the Ephesians that we saw about that. But he's saying, standing fast, and this is what the church needs to hear. Standing fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, in the day in which we live, there's many places that people can attend a fellowship. You're here. We're really grateful for that. But the truth of the matter is, the church doors are more like revolving doors. People come and people go in our society. That's the way that it is. As far as I'm aware of, and being saved you know, through the 70s, I don't, I'm not aware of any great spiritual outpouring of the Spirit of God where massive amounts of people are coming to the Lord right now in faith. God is saving people. Praise God. He's always saving people. And people in our fellowship have been saved and are being saved, and we're thankful. But it's, it's fairly individual, and you know, we're grateful for all of that. But what we see is just people moving around, shifting around, in the body of Christ. 
we need to be in a fellowship and plugged in and apart and to experience this sense of oneness in the spirit and working together as believers within the body of Christ. You see, if we were to take a plant and we have berry plants, but if I take one of my berry trees and totally uproot it and plant it over here, it's going to take a couple of years before it really <laughs> produces some good, just the shock and the trauma of that. It takes a little bit to rebound. They'll have a few things, but not much that, that first year. It's going to take two or three years. And then if I pick it up and then I move it again, it's just going to go through that. Now, I have to confess that I believe that the church is at fault, the pastors, the leaders, because typically in many denominations, the pastor will come and only be there for about three years, and then they'll move to another fellowship in a denominational way. That's the way it works. That grieves me. That makes me really sad. Because if I'm sitting under a pastor or a leader, it's going to take two or three years to fill connected and apart, realistically, realistically, to really experience what Paul's speaking about, it takes realistically, in my opinion, about seven years to really experience this work. In other words, to come into a body and then to be able to receive, to be built up, to start to meet people, takes time. It takes, you know, one to three years to just kind of really work. And then as you're starting to serve... You begin to see fruit coming from your life. And, and by seven years, I mean, you're really, you know, you're really being used. And, and fruit from your life, you're building up others, and it's a, it's a family. That's realistically what it takes. And so I'm really saddened by ministries that have pastors and leaders, you know, take off after three years. Because the body's not going to grow or be committed at all. You, you can't. And you're hesitant. You'd be hesitant there. That's a mistake. On leadership. So when we look at this, the exciting thing and what Paul is communicating is saying, if we're really looking for this, this fruit and this dynamic to take place, this is what it takes in verse 28. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them proof of proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you, it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Again, as we look at our handout sheet and to realize the introduction today is a church was established because God led Paul and Silas to a location. Unbeknownst to them, there's people fellowshipping and praising God. And because of that core, there's an opportunity to minister. And because of that core now that is beginning to pray and meet, they're able to speak publicly. And in the proclamation of that gospel, God is at work. He who began a good work is faithful. And as they're working, there's somebody that's affirming Paul in their ministry, but they're demon-possessed. He deals with that in the name of Jesus. This girl set free. Those that have a stronghold on her livelihood bring charges against them, they're in jail, earthquake happens, jailer gets saved, family gets saved, work gets strong, work gets established. Paul, you need to move on to the next place to establish another ministry. Hostilities coming your way, so he's moving on that way, but they establish leadership there. 
He continues to minister, but is mindful of every place he's been and everyone he's talked to. He has this church in his heart that all of the difficult circumstances of life, the shipwrecks, the beatings, and all of that, what concerns him the most is the care and growth of the church. And he loves them. He says, you're in my heart. And I love what's going on. I love to hear the reports, but I, I want to encourage you. I want you to know that in difficult circumstances, there's joy. I'm in prison. It's the most difficult circumstance. My life might be coming to an end, but I want to let you know God has never been stronger. God is fulfilling his promises. Never thought it would be this way. When I said I wanted to go to Rome, I didn't know I was going to be shipwrecked along the way over on an island, bit by a viper, but I'm finally here. I want to give my presentation, but now I'm in jail. Nero's in charge. But the gospel's not changed. It's going out. I want you to be confident that God began a good work. He's going to complete it. God is at work. He's going to complete it. And there's a sense of joy in believing that. And there's a sense of joy in the fellowship as we grow together, as we pray for one another, as our hearts are knitted together with one another. This is where God's life of the Spirit comes from. This is when we're training our children. They say, this is a family. I understand what it's like as a family. And this is where God is accomplishing his purposes. And it comes down to personal responsibility. I want to be worthy of, as it says in verse 27, the gospel. My conduct, I want it to match. I want it to match my relationship with Christ. Let's stand. And let's pray. Father, we're grateful for tonight, and we're grateful to be able to come together. We're thankful for this church, this body of believers, those that are here tonight, those that aren't but are a vital part of what you're doing here. Again, we're very grateful. We trust, God, that you're helping us. You're strengthening our lives. I pray, Lord, that the reality of this word is that consider it all joy when we fall into various trials. Lord, that through that there is a testing, there is a work, there is, there is truth, there is gold to be found in that. And I pray, God, that we would discover all that you have for us in these days. In Jesus' name, amen.